0: Welcome to series three of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women from diverse backgrounds and perspectives in science and technology. Our conversation gives us insights into some fascinating innovations, but we also get to relate. Here on Innovation, I give women a platform to be seen and heard because this exact conversation is also in video format on my YouTube channel. And honestly, every single episode is inspiring and uplifting in some way because we hear about what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Maggie Philbin, OBE and former science presenter on Tomorrow's World on the BBC.
1: I'm Maggie Philbin. I'm CEO of a company called Teentech, which as the name implies, helps young people uh, discover their futures. And many people will know me as a science and technology reporter on programs like Tomorrow's World.
0: Oh, well, Maggie, it is so wonderful to meet you. You know, I have to say, I grew up watching you. So it's absolutely amazing um, to be able to speak with you. And it sounds incredible what you're trying to achieve with Team Tech. Can you kind of give me a run through of how it all began and how it's going?
1: Well, it. It was strange, really, because obviously I'd spent a, a long time, you know, working in science and features and doing all sorts of exciting um, reporting from all over the world. But uh, to some extent, I was living in a bubble because I had the great fortune of joining Tomorrow's World at a time when there were some fabulous female producers and editors and researchers. It hadn't always been like that. So I was surrounded by all of this female talent, um, which I completely took for granted. So it's this is going to sound really naive. Um, it never really crossed my mind that there could be, you know, across perhaps just about everywhere else other than Tomorrow's World, a real issue in terms of, you know, women finding their feet and um, really realizing their potential in 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 science and tech. But when I stopped doing Tomorrow's World, um, I, I was just alerted to what was really going on. And I, I, I started to look around and, you know, and see what I could do. And, you know, I was invited to speak at various conferences. And and after a while, a couple of years of that, I began to get slightly fed up with the sound of my own voice because I thought we all know there's a bit of an issue here. Um, uh, and, and I suppose um, without perhaps consciously realizing, I, I was trying to think, right, well, let's find a way of, doing something practical about it and i happened to be asked to do yet another keynote and rather than just going right okay i'll be with you how long do you want uh, i said do you have a small budget so perhaps we could go into a school and listen to what the the young people were actually saying because we we all know the stats we know what that's like but i've just got a hunch that if we actually listen we you know, there might be something quite fresh, and there really was because it is very different. It's one thing if you hear only X number of girls choose physics, or you know, only so many you know progress into a, a career in tech. It's something else to hear those um, those those girls and boys talk about why it didn't really seem that appealing to them. So the reason I'd done it was so that this conference could benefit. Um, engineers were in tears looking at some of these little films but it also galvanized me and made me think right I am actually going to do something and I met up with um, a friend who was working at the Institute of Directors and I I remember the meeting so clearly we had a coffee in Carluchos and I said you know what it's just Crazy! I was working in the Thames Valley as a local radio reporter at the time. And I said, you know, it's just so mad that this area is lined with tech companies and the kids that I've just spoken to, they are enthusiastic about tech. This is the misconception. The idea is, oh, they're not interested. They are, but they don't see their interest in tech has anything to do with what they might do in the future. This, you know, (laughs) the." These connections just don't seem to be being made, and I said, "What we need is we need some kind of event that brings everyone together, so that, that, that you know those young people hear firsthand." And um, that was the beginning of Teen Tech. And because Chris said, "Well, do it, do it," which actually, <laughs> if he hadn't said that, I probably would have just carried on going, "We ought to," but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we ran the, the first Teen Tech. We brought everyone in the region together. It was from the word go, set up as a very collaborative effort, because I felt there was far too much working in silos going on. Um, it was designed, deliberately designed to be collaborative. And, um, and the, the first event was a great success. Um, and really, the teen tech was driven by enthusiasm of other regions who wanted to run teen tech um, and the students themselves and the teachers and so they have always set the direction of where we where we're going to go and and maybe that's something which is slightly different about teen tech it wasn't you know a top down approach it was based on listening to what those young people were actually saying and what their teachers were saying and what their parents were saying and uh, you know back in 2008 <laughs> i absolutely didn't think that 13 14 years later we would be doing what what we're doing at um, the kind of scale that we're working at uh, you, uh, you know i thought we were going to do you know a one-off event um, and it just developed legs, so it's it's been a wonderful and very very exciting um, you know period of time for me. And I I think it is the most important thing I've ever done. I I, I you know I know you know most people are not aware of the work of um, Teen Tech. They are aware of things like Tomorrow's World if they're of a certain age, but the the, the difference that. Now we're seeing that we we're making two decisions made by young people um, of you know not just women but uh, you know our focus was very much on how can we make the world of tech and science much more diverse um, and because my feeling is if you get diversity right, then that is that helps everybody. Um, and as opposed to if we just focus on a particular group and try and help that particular group, so that was my hunch, and I I, I feel that with the work that Team Tech does does it's borne out in the in the results. So although as I say we don't focus on on gender as you know the you know we're we're a sort of a, a wider and we have a wider reach, really, Uh, the output is, you know, we see, you know, when students first join, it's quite easy to have a 50-50 balance. But as they stay with team tech and develop projects and go right the way through, in, you know, if we look at something like this, team tech awards which is you know i would say like for many students is the highlight of what they will ultimately achieve with team tech it's well over 60 percent female
0: wow so,
1: and and you know so that is that's why we do things the way we we do them um and it's not to say that other things don't work if they're done in different ways it's just that's that's been the the teen tech methodology and yeah I do feel really proud it's a massive massive collaborative effort on the part of everyone um but it's yeah it's been very exciting and very rewarding. So what kind of scale has it grown to? Well in the in the UK um we directly um, work with a, 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 obviously slightly different during the pandemic, but between sort of 14 and 20,000 young people every year. That's directly. Then indirectly through teachers using our resources and um, students accessing web pages etc cetera, etc cetera. we estimate it goes to about 75000 you know that's the the rough you know estimation but the bit that i count are you know it's the the students who are engaging directly with us and participating in you know either real or in, in real life or virtual innovation sessions, festivals, Teen Tech Award programmes, Teen Tech City of Tomorrow, Teen Tech Create Your Future, all of the different programmes that, that that run. Um, so it's, you know, that if, if you compare that figure with the number of teenagers in the UK, it is tiny. Um, but the ultimate aim of Teen Tech is, which sounds rather weird, is to put ourselves out of business because... What I would like to do is to see the shape of education change. And so what we can do with those numbers is to provide, I think, some really interesting data on what seems to work with young people, particularly young people who are disaffected with um, more conventional approaches. I mean, that's so incredible,
0: and I can see why you're proud. I mean, you've raised a few things which um, I'll try and address one by one. The first is voids. Um, It's really interesting because there are voids in um, the solution uh, and the problems that exist. And... um, I, like you, have um, tried to um, plug gaps, I guess, Um, because I've always wondered why girls don't take um, STEM subjects. Um, Because, you know, I I took engineering and it just seemed very natural to do that. And it was great at university. Um, Yes, there was a gender imbalance, but it was an interesting course and et cetera, et cetera. And then it was really only when I got into industry that I realized that there were kind of uncomfortable environments. Um, There were not enough people that looked like me. And so in terms of voids, like where do you think the bottlenecks are in terms of trying to encourage more people
1: into STEM? I, I think it is. I think it is quite complicated. Um, one of the things which I've always had a slight aversion to the word STEM. Or indeed the word STEAM, because I feel it creates um, a silo, and it's like, well, oh well, if you're interested in STEM, you can't possibly be interested in the arts or music or geography or whatever. There's that artificial divide, um, and obviously that goes back quite a long way in the in the UK. So I, I think that is a that is a bit of an issue because I think increasingly as you know more and more jobs require higher and higher levels of of digital skills no matter what you do you know and so it's really important that that you know that idea of oh well i'm you know i'm going to do history at university or whatever i don't need to bother with any of this stuff um that that we challenge that but challenge it not in a way of saying right well you also need to do a stem course or you know that would be dreadful but by perhaps approaching those subjects in many different ways because there's all sorts of interesting ways that you can you know use you know help students develop skills um Building on their interest in whatever subject, whether it's making jewelry um, or whether it's you know history or or, you know or or whatever, so I think that that comes back to you know changes to the structure of education because a lot of it is it perhaps doesn't move quite with the pace, and so what happens for a, a raft of young people is they find what's happening at school it feels irrelevant to their real lives mm. so about relevance I think is important yeah. um to everybody as I say I feel that we have to get things right for everybody um to make a real a real difference so I think really looking at what can make every subject feel really relevant to the the, the students who are taking those subjects um and then helping you know that I mean it is very basic about helping uh, sometimes show the application of particular subjects because I don't think that that is always well done and it is really difficult and um, none of this by the way is intended in any sense as a criticism of teachers, it really isn't. You know, uh, they how they do what they do. Are abs- you know, hats off. I think they are extraordinary, um, and I never want to alarm teachers by going. Mean, I think it's all got to change because I think teachers have felt. I mean, quite enough changes going on, but I think many teachers would agree that probably what they're not able to do in a way that they would like to is to actually teach. Um, it's you know that the whatever we're creating the the jumps that we're asking young people to go over are not necessarily the ones which are in the best interests of those those young people. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there are some examination boards <clears throat> looking at subjects and being a little bit more creative about subject courses of study which are much more relevant to the real world and also to the real interests of those students because it must be really quite difficult must not it I mean when I was when I was at school which is a very long time ago um you know the way we were learning in school and the way um I might have you know picked up books at home or from the the mobile library van which was my ticket to the outside world living in the depths of the countryside Um, they were pretty much the same but what seems to happen is that you know students have this an access or many students have access to a whole range of digital information of every which kind at home and then they go into school and it's all different you know, which is a bit mad. And, you know, helping, you know, uh, yeah, just sort of like update things a little bit, I think would be, is, is one important barrier. And then that, that, you know, the perceptions of the subjects, I mean, it does come back, I'm probably slightly repeating myself, but it's, it's helping everybody understand how you might apply this knowledge, why it might be relevant, how something that you might think, well, I don't know where I would ever use this, you know the helping students understand where that might make a real difference where for instance you know an understanding of of data science and being able to interpret data um, makes a big difference in things like when we're faced with a pandemic you know th- these you know you can make a real difference by being able to understand um, and uh, data and data and see what it is saying and what action ought to be taken and have that you know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about that problem-solving mindset, which is really important. Uh, And I think, uh, again, uh, with all young people, there isn't enough opportunity to get things wrong. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, if, if we want big, bold thinkers with great solutions to the many massive issues that... The you know in individuals, um, families, cities, the planet face. Um, then you need to give people a bit of wriggle room to get used to sometimes being wrong, and recognizing that you're wrong, <laughs> and then moving on to plan B. Um, and that doesn't seem to be present in the in in what happens what happens in schools. Um, That's my feeling that uh, I would love schools to have a little bit more space in those packed timetables for students to do um, perhaps more project-based learning based on their own interests. And I appreciate that's a really complicated thing for schools to arrange. Uh, I don't think that the burden for that should fall entirely um, in the lap of of teachers to do Um, because as you know industry is really happy to help um, and perhaps needs to understand the best ways of being helpful Um, yeah so it's complicated I you know it really is complicated and I think understanding that it's complicated excuse me is a really important starting point because I get very irritated when you see things like um well you know we did this <clears throat> i went into this school and i talked about my career in name any career and as you know 95 percent of the students said they now want to work in name area <laughs> you know i mean that's just mad it's completely mad because this you know the there's so much evidence that shows that the things that make a difference are. And, you know, I mean, you knew were really kind and you mentioned Tomorrow's World um, at the beginning of this conversation. But the thing about Tomorrow's World back in the day was it was on a Thursday night at the same time, just before Top of the Pops, for 40 weeks a year, for 38 years. Amazing. It wasn't like a one off thing. It was always there. Now, the world has changed since since those days. And obviously, there are only three television channels um, when I started work on Tomorrow's well. And, you know, so the world of media is, is different. But the point I'm trying to make is that that one-off doesn't do any, anything, you know. That has, you know, it's having certain structures. Doesn't mean that that structure has to be delivered by the same organisation or whatever. But those stepping stones, those opportunities for a child or a teenager or, you know, a young adult who is interested in something to develop their interests is, is really important. And then networks are are important. And that's something which I think is often not um, really dealt with, because it is, you know, it's complicated, but I'm a great believer in, in networks making a difference for young people. Because, if your parents happen to be well connected in an area that you happen to also be interested in, I'm not saying it's plain sailing, but it's a lot easier because you understand what those jobs might involve. Your parents know, well, if you want to have a career in that area, then the path, best pathway at the moment is this um, and those pathways change, and they can connect you with people who can give you further, you know, advice. But if you don't have those connections, if you happen to want to pursue a line, which is very different to those of your family and your family's connections, and you don't have a network, it's really hard, really difficult. We did a report on digital skills in, um, I think it was 2015. It was just just before the new computing um, curriculum uh, came in. And we made a number of suggestions you know, around what would make a difference in terms of teacher CPD. But anyway, um, one of the things that came out of that report when we did a bit of digging at that time was we thought, right, well, I wonder if you do a degree, let's just have a look at the employability figures on degrees and you know one of the worst ones was computer science now that didn't make any sense (laughs) you know this is like well the world needs computer scientists you know why is this and one of the reasons I mean we handed it over to Hepsi to do some further digging Um, but you know one of the things perhaps underpinning that was a lot of universities doing a really good job of recruiting students onto computer science courses and then those students struggled and then even when they came the, you know in with some universities there was quite a high attrition rate and then when the students who did complete the course finished they didn't have a network mm. they didn't have a way of Knowing well what am I going to do with this computer science degree, and um, yeah, and that that still happens. I was approached by a computer science student at an event uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he wanted during his holidays to have some um, relevant internships. He was really struggling, really Thank struggling.
0: You. So that many computer scientists were disappearing off to Silicon Valley.
1: Well, you know they, you know they, they may have been, um, but it was just, you know, as I say, things may have changed. I'm, you know, that was the, you know, what we found in 2015 or whatever. But it really shocked me because I thought I don't understand why is the your are your employment prospects not as good as you would imagine. Um, it was just interesting so so uh, you know I'm a great believer in data and actually because the, 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 we all have our hunches and our perceptions about what we think is going on and all the rest of it but when you actually dig down that's the interesting bit is mm. um, as you know you know it's like show me a company that doesn't go we want more diversity in our company and then look at you know well how is this how is this actually working out in practice? So it's fascinating, you know, it's
0: like- That is something that I wanted to um, sort of expand upon because um, what we say we need and want uh, in the UK is not often what we um, give opportunity to. Mm. Um, And so when you talk about computer science, the world needs more computer science scientists because everything is going digital um and there's no change um i think it's only going to increase in need um but in some ways the uk needs to catch up with the fact that the world is going digital um and you know i, I when i say that computer scientists may be disappearing to silicon valley like they may not have the opportunities in the UK, and they are finding them elsewhere. Um, And so, you know, it is very complicated, because we are trying to encourage more diversity and inclusion in STEM subjects. Um, I also feel a bit uncomfortable now talking about STEM, because I kind of agree with you. especially because it's science, technology, engineering and maths, like where did <laughs> you, maths just out? you know we don't say science, technology, engineering and geology so why did we say maths but anyway um I feel that there's no point in creating this ideal world of more stem graduates um and apprentices because I absolutely love apprenticeships um if you're not going to have opportunities for these young people at the end mm. of it, so yeah, there's a no, lot of point
1: there. Yeah. No. Um. You know. Uh, uh, absolutely. And which which is where it comes to that thing of just like really helping both young young people and schools, um, and indeed, you know, all of our. Um, examination bodies understand you know means education isn't just about getting a job um but it is you know especially when students are investing many thousands of pounds in university education in particular is they do want to have a a level of understanding of right well what am i actually paying for what is this going to do for me Um, and yeah so i think that you know finding intelligent ways of showing well these are the the job opportunities at the moment these are if you know and there are all sorts of um analyses made of you know job boards and all the rest of it so you can see what do people really need but i think there's also a, a question like when when you talk to companies about right well These are the technical requirements of this role. And then these are the personal requirements of this role. And that, I think, is quite interesting because sometimes that's where people may have the, you know, perhaps technical requirements, but they don't have the personal requirements that are going to make a real difference to them enjoying that. Sector and being able to progress and realize everything that they can, they they can do. And you can't, you can't just waltz into I don't know a lecture theatre and go right now. What we're going to do <laughs> today is going to do going to work on on confidence. Um, we're going to yeah. work on being able to take um, uh, constructive criticism and move move forward. You know, it, you know it those things and that's what you kind of see because you all you know I can see you know when we bring lots of different schools together you can see the kids who there are some kids who are naturally com- confident because they've had the luxury of very supportive parents a very you know supportive school environment it doesn't mean they're academically any more gifted than someone who has had absolutely none of those things but they do have certain personal qualities that mean they can overcome because we all have setbacks of whatever kind um professionally personally and you know the the ability to deal with all of that is really important the Mm. ability to think actually do you know what I'm in this job and I have just, you know, discovered I'm being paid a third of person sitting next to me. Um, I'm doing the same job to my mind. I'm doing it just as well. Actually, guess what? Enough. Um, you know, that now it takes a certain kind of person um, to be able to do that as opposed to go on th- into the mindset of maybe I'm not as good as they are. Maybe they are just better. They, you know, it's, it's it's a mindset, you know, and there's a mindset. And that's also part of what we do with teen tech is just helping the students. It's not about that kind of, well, hey, we can all do whatever we want to. You know, we don't need to bother with learning anything. It's not that. But it is that, you know, we put a huge amount of emphasis on, particularly within the teen tech Award program, which rewards sort of what the students are doing. So doesn't matter whether they get to the final showcase they always get feedback on their projects they always get um you know a, either a bronze or a silver or a gold certificate which gives them a sense of achievement you know it's not just about have I won that's very empty but they understand right oh right okay so I've done this if I'd done that that might have made it a stronger project but hey look you know uh, yeah, I've, I've got this um and it, and it does make a difference and and helping, you know, because um, what is encouraging uh, about you know what we've seen over the years is how students they stay with us for maybe four years, doing different things, different projects. It doesn't. It's not about winning something. Um, it's about learning, uh, and they 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 can feel themselves learning and developing uh, and understanding a little bit more about oh I thought that was you know a rather dull area but actually it turns out it's fascinating and it seems that I'm really quite good. Um I, I and yeah just that it as I say that the, the whole picture is really complicated. Yeah. yeah. But understanding it's complicated is a really important start and it's not there are no there, it's not that it's not a quick fix. It's not an easy thing. Um uh, it's, uh, yeah, but it doesn't mean it can't be achieved because I absolutely do think you really can achieve it, um, and it does make a real difference. I mean, going back to Tomorrow's World, um, I, 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 I'd worked in children's before Tomorrow's World, and again, I was surrounded by really brilliant women. I, I thought the whole BBC was like this, <laughs> really amazing, incredibly bright creative um, women and and a great team spirit on on it. And so I moved from that environment onto Tomorrow's World, where, as I say, I was fortunate enough to encounter the same level of commitment and team spirit and a huge support. We all knew what we were trying to achieve and we helped each other. It was very, very generous environment, but it hadn't always been like that. And there were conscious changes that have been made shortly, I think, really relatively shortly, maybe a couple of years before I joined. Because if you look at some of the Tomorrow's World programmes from the 1960s, the first shows, they're quite revealing in their sort of blokiness. Mm. Bloky because the show was produced by blokes, presented by blokes, and researched by blokes. Um, and it was a it was a very different environment. And so when I watched, because I watched that program as a child, uh, I watched it, I was fascinated by what I saw, but I didn't feel like it had anything to do with me. I didn't think, oh, mm. look at Raymond Baxter there um, showing us a, a hovercraft for the first time. <laughs> I was very impressed, but I didn't think maybe I could design a hovercraft, you know, that never entered my head. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that that change in terms of the balance of staffing on Tomorrow's World and the attitude where I can always remember when, when I first joined and I was doing something about, it was a new kind of carjack. And so I was presenting this item and was written, you know, the script and everything. And I said, I, I did, uh, there was some kind of casual thing I said at the beginning, which is like, oh, well, you know, you, you know what it's like when you go into the garage and you ask the engineer to jack up your car and he, and I always remember Cynthia Page going, he? And I went, yeah, you know, like the engineer at the garage. Is it a him? <laughs> and, and then, you know, that was like, oh, right, okay. Now I get, you know, hmm. you know, don't do that. And, and it was, it was, there was scrupulous attention to every every possible, you know, conscious slip that you might might yeah. make.
0: I mean, you know. it, it is so complex. I mean, we've touched upon um, themes that we could just keep digging and digging and digging. Um, but yet the solution is so simple because essentially what you're saying is if you can see it, you can be it. That that saying that I think was first coined in uh, New Zealand or um, Australia. Um, and I just really subscribe to that because um, what you're talking about is what you're talking about in terms of really getting through to teenagers is something that is so subtle. Which is to just tweak um, focus and perspective, um, and rather than taking this kind of like talking at people approach, it's very much like let's hear from you. Let's there's like a real interaction and involvement and appreciation of what teenagers can bring to the table. Um, so, and that alone is very empowering.
1: Um, yeah, it's just listening that's that's what it is it's about this uh, you know that that listening um and helping really just sort of like helping each child understand you know the world is a very big it's a very big place out there and you've got a real right to be out there helping to shape what that world is like so it's not you know there are all sorts of things that we might take for granted as being part of our you know, immediate or global environment. But just because things have always been like that doesn't mean they always have to be. Mm. And you, know, you, you can flag things up. And if you've got the right skills, you can be part of making that change. And just giving students that sense, it's something that they're team tech, students often say that one of the things they really like is that when they're sharing their ideas that they are they're absolutely listened to mm. and that's yeah. very empowering when people listen to what you're to what you're saying and you know and some of their thoughts might be quite out there that doesn't matter heavens I put you know on, on tomorrow's world there were many things which were totally out there that you know I talked about and guess what they're with us now um, so I, I've, I've got a lot of time for what seem like, you know, fanciful ideas. Be as fanciful as you like. Um, don't lose sight of something that really, need, that, that really matters, really matters to you. And then along the way, you know, that is a way that you will develop, you know, certain very powerful skills for the future. Um, I think that's really what we need to be talking to, you know, young people about
0: you know maggie everything you're describing about teen tech just sounds so positive and so um empowering and so so needed in the world um and i think to really appreciate what it is that teen tech is achieving i think people need to follow teen tech and get involved if you know they fit the criteria and everything um but i think in our last few minutes of this episode i would love to learn more about you Um, because, you know, I joined television as a science and tech reporter um, off the back of doing a lot of engineering qualifications and kind of um, got into it that way. Um, What's your story? Because I love your perspectives because you're not, even with team tech, you're not approaching it. In this traditionally academic way, you're providing this really fresh, um, up to date, um, empathetic understanding of where teenagers need to be. Um, so it must come from your own personal journey. So, how did
1: you end up being a science and tech <laughs> kind of oh, yeah. more as well? It's so you know, it's such a you know a crazy story, really. Um, so, as a as a child, you know, when you're saying you you know you you can't be what you haven't seen. So, I grew up in the countryside. Um, fantastic parents, parents. They were very lovely, um, and so my world was quite small. And I remember when I was six or seven, something like that. My dad packed me and a number of other village kids he borrowed the works Land Rover he worked on a farm and we went to the circus and at the circus I saw these trapeze artists now I don't like heights I was quite a plump child but for a long time I wanted to be a trapeze artist because the magic of this thing I'd never seen anything like it before you know now and then the so that was you know, I, I'm not saying that to be being a trapeze artist has shaped my career in any way, but it's just quite interesting that that was like utterly random, totally impossible, but that didn't mean I didn't for a long time think, right, well, I'm going to be a trapeze artist and give me that climbing frame. Um, and then um, I love animals, particularly horses. I don't know where the horse thing came from, but we lived in a village and someone in the village had Um, ponies I did everything round at her house the washing up swept the yard never got a ride on the pony but I was really determined I was going to get pony so it's a long story and we would take another hour but I was so determined to learn how to ride my parents couldn't afford riding lessons so I started to try and save up money and I'm ashamed to say one of my tactics was my dad used to empty out his pockets of all of the loose change because you know when we had those ma- you, you, well you won't know because you won't have had it but pennies used to be blooming huge and heavy so we'd empty it out on the mantelpiece and I'd watch this and I would just go <laughs> it's terrible um and yeah so then I was able to kind of afford um to take myself off for a riding lesson in secret my parents knew nothing about it I bought a pair of jobbers from a jumble sale. And I did that and I was found out eventually. Um, but I, I I suppose the point of that is I was an incredibly determined little girl. You know, it's like, okay, I absolutely accepted right. Parents can't afford to do this. I'm gonna have to take a long-term view. The other thing I did was I again, because I thought, right, um, because I'm jumbling this all up, but <laughs> The tactic of taking the pennies off the mantelpiece meant that I could get to have a riding lesson at the stables, which was about three miles away, about once every six weeks. And I wanted to go more often. So I thought I've got to up my game here. So I decided to do a puppet show. Um organized the kids in the village again my parents knew nothing about this until someone from school said oh just had this invitation to a puppet show in the village hall oh, and I had collected uh, you know I mean I was I was charging sixpence for this puppet show and on the day because my parents then you know damn it got involved and said well you're charging people sixpence then we better make tea and for them when they pitch up um and I always remember Andrew Richmond, I sent him out while I was sorting out the puppets. And I said, how many people are queuing outside? And he was gone for a long time. And he came back and he said, too many to count. And it was like, so exciting for me. And I think I raised about 25 quid, which was a fortune to me, you know. And my dad made me give all the money to a hospital. Um, but I guess so this is the, a strange background story but I think those things actually were really quite important as some kind of a foundation for me because somewhere I got the idea was that if you really wanted to do something you kind of had to it was down to you to do it you couldn't rely on anybody else you had to kind of make it happen so I do and I think that was very important And I, uh, you know, I I wanted, them wanted to be a vet because that I thought was another pathway to perhaps having a horse. (laughs) Um, I was no good at chemistry. Um, And I switched to art subjects, did a degree in drama and English at Manchester. And uh, while I was in the middle of my finals, there was a, a box numbered ad in the stage saying do you want to be a top TV personality? I mean I thought it was a joke so I wrote a very very tongue-in-cheek letter and forgot about it and that turned out to be um, the BBC's first Saturday morning program swap shop and I never for a minute I mean, when they invited me for interviews I never imagined they would ever give me the job um, but they did they took it they took a real gamble and so I Oh a huge amount. And I'm looking actually at a picture of um Rose McGill, who was that editor who interviewed me and gave me that chance. And and it won't surprise you when I because years later I said to Rose, Why did you why did you take that risk? Because you interviewed lots of people with much more experience and very kind of showbizy kind of people who would have been you'd have thought we'd much more suitable. And she said, Oh well. We asked you one question, which was, where did you get your boots from? And you talk for 25 minutes. And we thought you'd probably be all right on live television. So, (laughs) you know, and then, um, yeah, so that was lovely. And that was a real, a really good learning environment, as I say, you know, because it was so diverse. You know, children's programmes was a diverse area. And uh, then um, out of the blue, I was I did a program which you won't remember called the Show Me Show which was like a very poppy Tomorrow's World and originally it was intended as a children's program but the controller BBC One decided to put it on at seven o'clock at night while Tomorrow's World was off the air and Tomorrow's World saw that and I think it was like keep your enemies close and um, they they offered me a job on Tomorrow's World and yeah so it was just wonderful. A, a lot of people took a massive, massive risk on me. And, you know, so on the surface, that looks like, oh, you know, very smooth. But underneath, you know, I had all the insecurities when I joined at the BBC and was doing that live show on Saturdays, I've f- always felt like the student was had a lucky break, um, which was exactly what I was. And I felt really quite insecure for um all of that period I would say I was learning from the best but I felt very insecure and then when I joined tomorrow as well I was haunted by the fact that oh my god chemistry <laughs> what's this going to be like um but I'd always I'd had that interest you know and I, I I'd done physics and maths to a certain level you know o level at school and I'd wanted to take them further but you know I I but so, so that first year on Tomorrow's World was was quite tough. It was it really was quite tough. Um, but again, I would had some wonderful people around me who wanted me to succeed and who helped me um, and who gave me and, and also encouraged me to do it my way. Mm. Um, and do you know what? Passionate. Like
0: Tomorrow's World has really inspired so many generations. Mm-hmm. Um, into science and tech. And so final question for you, seeing as we've sadly run out of time, would be, you know, why should anyone go into science and tech, given, you know, that you did, essentially? Like, what what sparked and sustained your interest in science and tech? And why should others
1: go into these subjects? I would say it's the power to make a difference because you know science and technology, they are absolutely the tools of the future. And we want as many people as possible to be able to use those tools. Not just a few, not just certain kinds of people from certain kinds of backgrounds. We want everyone to have access to those tools. Unlike any um, craft person, some people are going to be geniuses at using those tools but we should all be able to use them to some level so that we understand them. So the, you know, and enthusing people about what can be achieved with with science and tech and engineering and digital skills, all of the ethics that underpin all of those areas is really crucial because we, we all have to be able to understand, make decisions, support, and challenge developments. And you can only do that with a certain level of knowledge. Um, you can't do it if you don't have any knowledge whatsoever. So it doesn't. it's not just about whether you want to work in a tech company. It's like, well, do you want to understand what that tech company is really doing? Do you want to st- understand how your data might be used? Do you want to make a... A really educated decision on a vaccine, on the timelines for vaccines, and you know, the, having that um, and knowledge—it's like having a level of scientific and technical literacy. It's—it's it's never been more important than now. Well, you know,
0: Maggie, I don't know too many people that have been so influential in world of science and tech. You know, communicating science and tech is more powerful in some ways um, than actually doing it. Um, And you've been a complete role model and inspiration for me um, throughout the years. And um, I just think what you're doing with Teen tech is so important. Um, Thank you for being you, because I think throughout our entire conversation, I got such a strong sense that you are doing what is important to you and what you're passionate about and even if you know you haven't come from a conventional stem background uh you've always been following your heart and your interests and you're doing that and making as much of an impact with team tech as you have done with tomorrow's world Um, It's been a joy to speak with you
1: and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, no. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And um, I'm, I'm always very happy to talk about Team Tech because I know amongst all of our students, there are some out there who are going to make a very, very big difference to our world.
0: Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.